Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 146 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. What's going on? Not much. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing very well. Got done yesterday-ish having... Well, I'm always bad with time doing the the intro. Nope. Doing the podcast with... Andrea and Christina. We just spent 45 minutes in here having a perfect conversation about things, and then we start recording, and I lose the ability to say words. I'm still not entirely sure what you're trying to say, but I think I got it. Mm-hmm. So. I was just talking about how our, our last episode was with Andrea and Christina. It was indeed. And I enjoyed it. Okay. But I fell all over my own words. You did. Yes. You how, did. How are you? You weren't on that episode with me. I'm good. It was a fun one, though. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. So, um, If people want to interact with us, how can they do that? That came out of nowhere. There was like no, know, was no segue or transition I know, there. But if people want to, <laughs> if they do, how can they do that? They <laughs> find us on Twitter at ProBookNerds and email us directly at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, they can. And uh, this isn't me asking people to do this, but I just want to say there was a really, really nice uh, review in iTunes that somebody left over the week, the weekend, past week. And they just talked about how they liked the podcast and it super made my day. So thank you. I don't want to like call people out by name. Right. You don't have to leave reviews if you don't want. If you do, that's awesome. And thank you. But it made me really happy. So just so you know, when you leave a review or comment on anyone's Twitter or iTunes or anything like that, the people like us see it and it makes us happy. So thank you. But yeah, I just, it's it, like I literally screenshotted it and sent it to Jill before she even got to the yep. office. That is true. That is true. Uh, Today's episode is an interview I did with Amanda Foodie. Uh, She is the author of Daughter of the Burning City. And this was a book that I said I was super excited for in July and then told our account, our publisher accounts, like manager. She reached out to the publisher. They sent us books, connected us with the author. So it's like one of my favorite things that still happens for us. And I loved it. The book is incredible. Amanda is incredible. Her last name is Foodie. She is a foodie. <laughs> we talked about food. Um, it's a, I guess the best way I can describe it is a circus freak show murder mystery. The main character works at a traveling, like, thousand-year-old massive city-sized circus, and she runs the freak show. She is, she's a jinx worker as they're called but she is like an illusionist she can create illusions that seemingly have real lives that like she can actually create realistic illusions that she calls her family and one of them gets murdered at the very beginning of the of the book and trying to figure out what happened from there but it's such a unique and creative idea yeah absolutely and she builds a wonderful world that i super am into so, <laughs> in fact I, lots of people it's ya it's ya fantasy um, when people write YA fantasy, you kind of assume it's going to be a trilogy. This one's a standalone, and it, oh. and we talk about it in the in the in the conversation. It kind of breaks my heart because uh. she built this incredible world. But the reason being, this is the second book she wrote. The first book she wrote, this one was published first. The the book that she wrote originally, that she started working on when she was like seventeen, and now she's in her early twenties. Um, that one wasn't picked up first. They were kind of picked up Got together, it. but the editor and publisher was like. We want to do this daughter one first. So she has another incredible world coming out next year. So I'm excited about that. But I literally, if you follow us on Twitter, I've been doing like the long game tweeting at her like, yeah, but here's a good idea for that world if you wanted to create it. So 
trying to get more of these stories out. Good of luck her. with that. Yeah, it's not gonna work. Anyway, um, you already told people why they, how they can get a hold of us. I did. That's why I did this <laughs> out of nowhere. Ugh. So <laughs> I get why you said that. Now it makes all the sense in the world. Anything else that you would like to tell people on this train wreck of an introduction that I've let us down? No, I think we're good. Okay. All right, we're off the rails. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with the wonderful Amanda Foodie on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Adam again, and today I'm excited incredibly excited to be joined by Amanda Foodie, who has always considered imagination to be our best attempt at magic. Uh, Amanda loves writing about immersive settings and characters grappling with insurmountable destinies. She holds a master's in accountancy from Villanova, as well as a bachelor's of arts and English literature from the College of William and Mary. Uh, Currently, she works as a tax accountant, but what we're going to be talking today is her writing and her debut novel, Daughter of the Burning City, is incredible and it's now available. Amanda, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for thinking about me and having me. Yeah. Um, So for people who may not have read Daughter of the Burning City yet, can you get us going by having, just kind of giving us a little intro to the book? Yeah, absolutely. It is a young adult dark fantasy novel that combines the typical genre elements of big epic fantasy with a murder mystery. So it takes place in a carnival known as the Gamora Festival, which is this traveling city of debauchery. And the main character, Serena, is the head of the freak show at this carnival. And she's also an illusionist. So she can create people who are real enough to be touched and seen and heard, who are essentially imaginary friends brought to life. And they function as the members of her family as well as the rest of the cast of this freak show. So when these characters start getting murdered, Serena has to determine who is murdering them, why, and then how they're killing people who don't truly exist. I have to tell you, first off, I love this book so, so much. It has (laughs) so many layers to it that I was blown away that this is you know your the the first novel you've written because there's just so much to this so i have a lot i want to kind of unpack but first why uh traveling circus slash carnival for the setting well as a writer i really love exploring what i call micro settings which is when the setting itself is very contained and most of the story takes place there and it takes on a sort of character of its own The one I usually reference is Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. When I think of Hogwarts, I think of a character almost in itself. And so I knew when I wanted to write this story that I wanted the character of the festival to be as big as any of the other characters in the story. Um, And I think the carnival element worked well because it let me play on some bitter elements. It seemed to, the concept of the imaginary friends and the illusions seemed to work well with the freak show. yeah, I don't really consider myself like a carny or someone who typically <laughs> write a carnival book. I feel like those things usually scare me in a horror movie setting. Right. But um, but it worked really, really well for the story. It was a good mix of horror and weird and wonderful. Well, I have to tell you, as someone who... I I do love carnivals, especially kind of this time of year, like August and towards the end, end, end of the year and, and fall, things like that. But I am terrified of clowns, so I'm very appreciative that <laughs> this was a seemingly clown-free carnival. So it you, is. <laughs> uh, 
Yes, I also share that fear and do not want to delve into that side of the carnival. Um, so there's a lot of different elements in here that have to do with Serena. So you mentioned the fact that, you know, she can create these illusions and that's something, it's a really unique idea because I think so often you see in in YA books, there's obviously always magic and, and fantasy and things like that, but the ability to create illusions is something that you don't really see that often. And in fact, there's so many different kinds of magic in this book. So when you were creating this world and, you know, imagining the space that you were going to create this world in, how did you determine what types of magic these characters would, would have and, and what made you want to, to land on the ability to create illusions to be your main character's ability? Well, the magic system in the world, so it's called jinx work in the book, and there are six different types that are mentioned in the story, um, some being a lot more common than others. And I think that's because the the book I was writing before I was writing Daughter, which is uh, actually my next novel that's coming out, Ace of Shades, it has a sort of infinite amount of different abilities, and it overwhelms me at times. And so when I approached Daughter, I wanted to limit it, to have a set amount of abilities that functioned in the world. And for me, I always try to pick up abilities that are a little bit more unusual. I think... I like to walk a mix between the familiar types of magic and then something that hasn't been seen before. Because I don't think, if you don't put a twist on it in some way, it doesn't feel as magical to the reader, because we read so much about magic. To be able to create magic yourself takes a little bit of extra creativity. Um, And I liked Illusions a lot for Serena, because I think Serena's a very, she's a very outward person. She's not necessarily that internally focused, but she's still very creative and artistic, and I think Illusions worked well because it was her own imagination kind of spilling into the world around her. Um, and it was also had a good performance aspect for her character because she is sort of a born performer. And then for the illusions that she creates, this kind of family that she has around her, were there specific like inspirations, whether they were previous books or movies or anything that you had for some of the characters? Because there are a few things that stuck out to me, but I'm I'm curious to see like, where the ideas for because the illusions themselves just want to make sure everyone understands like very not only are all of the the jinx workers magic magical abilities completely different but the cre- the characters you created are so original and unique within just the illusions so where did the kind of thought process go into creating them um i used to watch a show growing up called foster's home for imaginary friends that was on cartoon network mm-hmm. uh and it was about kind of a when children get too old what happens to their imaginary friends and where do they go and they go to this kind of wayward home um and so I liked that because it made them you know it made them take on their own lives and their own characters as far as the inspiration for each one I didn't really base them on any other characters anyone I know myself just sort of how they might function in the family because uh, a lot of them you know, she has the baby brother, she has the older sister, she has the uncle, the grandfather. They're meant to fill specific roles in her life. And so I just thought about what type of person Serena might have wanted to have filled those roles, and how are they also different than what she had originally envisioned. I have to, so I, I have to say, and I, and I will not, obviously I'm not going to spoil anything, but this book is so immersive, and you've created this whole world. I was 
almost borderline shocked to find out that at least as of now it's a standalone story so are you planning on coming back to this world because i feel like there's so much in here that that you could do and you spend all this time creating this this beautiful world i feel like if i was writing it i would i'd be afraid to leave it because there's so much goodness in there there absolutely are a bunch of areas in this world that i haven't discovered both in the festival and outside of it but i don't really envision myself returning to it at least anytime soon mostly because i have so many other worlds that i have been playing with um but there definitely is a lot i could do and i would be open to it in the future but it's not something uh that I think will be happening in the next few years. <sighs> All right. Well, I'm sad, but I I understand. <laughs> um, speaking of the other worlds you're you're working on creating, you have another book coming out next year as well. Um, can you maybe take us through that as well, the Ace of Shades? Oh, absolutely. So Ace has been with me for so long. I started writing it when I was 17 uh, in high school, and it kind of is what pushed me along this entire publishing journey very, very quickly and very young. Um, so it's always been super, super close to my heart, and it means so much to me that I'm actually going to get to share it with people in April. So uh, like Daughter, it does have a bit of a darker side to it, though I'd say it's a, almost a little bit more mature in a way. It takes place in a city of sin, sort of in the way that Daughter takes place in this festival of debauchery. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's much more modern. The story itself is an entirely fantastical, magical world, but it feels like it's pre-World War One. You know, you've got cars and newspapers and department stores and all those types of things. And the story itself it follows two characters. The first character is an outsider to the city of Sin. Her name is N. Salta. She aspires to be nothing more to be a lady because she desperately wants to be accepted in her society where she's been spending most of her life uh, working herself to the wire to achieve essentially mediocrity. But when her mother goes missing in the city of Sin, she has to leave behind all of her hopes and reputation in order to journey there to find her. And our other character is um, the person who she goes to seek help. His name is Levi Glazier. He's a renowned car dealer in the city as well as a con man and street lord. And he has been running this investment scheme that has been falling apart around him, and his enemies are catching up to him. So when N arrives, asking for help, promising compensation, the two form a very unlikely partnership as they then navigate the city of Sin, searching for her mother. I'm try- So I'm blown away by the fact you said you've been working on this since you were 17? Yes. So what... Um, I feel like this book taught me how to write. Okay, so what made you want to share Daughter first? Was it just that that was kind of like when you got a publishing deal, that was the, the book that they, they wanted to hear from you? Or I, I'm so interested in, in hearing like you had a book that you've been working on for so long, but that wasn't the first one that you, you published. Right. Um, well, I spent most of my time thinking it was going to be my first book. I have a very weird publishing story with it where that was the first book that I tried to get published and chopped around, but it wasn't until Daughter came around that um, I was able to get a lot more interest. And then I had this really great happy ending where my editor, who had read Ace back years before when I was a teenager, uh, had loved it so much that she purchased both books at the same time. And so we, we were deciding which one would end up being the first book. And because Daughter is a standalone and Ace is the first installment of a series, it made more sense to do this order. Um, 
And I'm really glad I've had Daughter as my debut because now that I'm working on all the sequels for Ace and how complicated it gets, I'm really glad that I had Daughter to kind of guide me through this <laughs> debut year. Okay, so with Daughter, there's, like we talked about, there's carnivals and there's there's magic and, and all sorts of, of goodness. And then with Ace of Shades, there's casinos and card dealers and all so what what in your background inspired you to create this world are you are you a a card player yourself or is this just something that has always been in your life i'm just curious where well it's funny because when i started writing the book i had little idea that i was going to be an accountant uh as my day job and as it turns out uh that has been really really important to me as i've written the books uh, basically because each book has a different financial operation that place in it. The first one being this investment scam. And that stemmed because the entire idea for the magic in this world and the whole world itself is supposed to be based on greed. They use magic as a currency. You know, the city operates on gambling and underground crime. Um, so I think my accounting background really helped there. Though when I started <laughs> writing the novel, it wasn't really something I was considering at the time. Okay, so I'm I'm curious because it's, you know, a lot of times when we talk to people who have day jobs, interestingly, it seems that they don't necessarily have to do with writing. So did you always know that you wanted to be a writer, but you also happen to have, you know, skill when it comes to accounting? They're just so vastly different worlds that I guess I'm curious right. what you envisioned when you, were, when you were growing up. I wanted to be a writer since I was really little. I mean, I was pursuing it almost seriously from like middle school on because I took myself very seriously <laughs> and um, always knew um, that I would probably have to pursue something else and that worked out really well for me because I've always thought of myself a little bit more of a numbers person than a words person and uh, so yeah I, I kind of found this mostly because I was good at it and I felt like it complemented the writing really well so that, you know, I don't feel creatively exhausted already by the time I get home, that I'm ready to do uh, something fun and something magical. Okay, so that was actually going to be my question, is from a, um, like, a, a writing standpoint, you know, people who are, you know, full-time writers, they'll, you know, they can get up, and most of them do have their, their schedules and, and word counts and things like that, but for you, what is that schedule like are you is it you're writing every single night are you writing on the weekends or like do you concern yourself with word counts and just what's the craft of writing like for you as someone who does have a full-time job that they're doing on top of all of this um well i've just started my full-time job for not quite a month so i'm new to this whole balancing day job with life game i've mostly been in college uh, while having to balance school with this but I don't really have a set time that I write. Um, if I'm really, I usually just kind of work in marathon type spurts because writing work in particular right now, it comes to me in ways where, you know, I have to draft the book or I have specific revisions in on the book and then I have a lot of downtime in between. So I usually do my best, um, for instance, a component of my accounting life is that I have to take these exams to get my CPA license. And so I usually try to study for those when I'm not dealing with a ton of writing stuff that has come up. So I have to anticipate because I'm not very good at multitasking. <laughs> uh, but it's not it's not too bad. Um, yeah. So uh, when you're when you're writing these books, and like I said, you're 
because of the, the the kind of fantasy element, you're creating these entire worlds. So for you, what tends to come first? Is it the the world that you're creating, or is it the story that you'll need to build a world around? I usually start with a concept, and typically the concept is for an aspect of the world. Um, the plot usually comes next, and the characters, and then I think the the meat of the world, like the, the color and the life of it, comes last. So I usually just try to get a structure of the story and how it might play out, kind of get fully the details that I need to create an outline. And then once I sit down to write is when I sort of fill in all the color. You mentioned, okay, sp- okay speaking of color, it's something that I'm I, I was absolutely drawn to. So we're a digital company, but I'm fortunate that I get lots of um, either advanced reader copies or you know physical copies of of books. And Thought of the Burning City is gorgeous, like the the color palette and the the imagery and things like that. So obviously, you know, in the book itself, you do talk about a lot of the different colors of the you know the traveling circus and and all sorts of different things. But did you have any say in sort of the the color palette of how the the book ended up looking and then kind of along the same lines is there a a color palette for your next series of books uh yes so i didn't really have a whole lot of say in the design of the cover and the color necessarily but um the gamora festival theme colors are black and then red violet and fuchsia and so they drew naturally from colors that were already talked about in the story. So even though I didn't really have a say in where they went, um, they drew it directly from the writing. For Ace, um, I had actually seen the cover, though it isn't. It hasn't been revealed, so I can kind of talk about it without <laughs> giving too much away. Um, I found that I actually did have a whole lot of say in the cover in that the ideas that I presented uh, really stuck well with the team. Um, in the color palette-wise, there are a lot of color palettes in the world, but it's not quite as focused as Daughter. Um, I feel like Ace takes place in the city, and so the city is not quite as thematically uh, centered as a carnival would be. Um, so, you know, there are different areas, and each area has its own qualities to it in the city as a whole. And so there's a lot of different color palettes they could have chosen from. For instance, the two major casinos in the city are often referenced as having really specific color palettes of their employees, their decorations, and all of that. So I had a few different options, and um, the one that they went with, I think, worked really well for the magic, and what they tried to convey convey about the magic on the cover. And then, I, I think, I, I've seen, you know, I, a lot of authors, like, doing, um, like, aesthetics of the, you know, working on just, like, representations of the world that they're creating. Are, are those things that, that you'll use as well, just kind of find, like, almost for lack of better terms, like a, a Pinterest board of, of visuals of things that you use when you're writing these stories, or is it something that you can kind of have entirely in your mind? Oh man, edits are my absolute vice. I create <laughs> way too many and post way too many because they make me so excited. Uh, I, yeah, one of the first things I do once I have an idea that's kind of taken off is I make a Pinterest board for it. It doesn't feel real until it has a Pinterest board. <laughs> um, I have shared a bunch for Daughter. Uh, for Ace, um, I like to make different aesthetics both for the world or for the characters. To me, there are kind of two different categories there. And they do really help me as I write. And something, uh, I focus a lot on atmosphere in my descriptions. 
For instance, I don't, if you're walking into a bedroom, I'm not really concerned with describing the fact that there is a bed or there is a desk or a bureau. I'm more interested in describing the things that don't belong and the things that once you start layering them on top of each other, create a mood at large Mm -hmm. that the reader can fill in the rest of the colors themselves. And aesthetics really help me determine my direction for that. So um, one of the characters in Daughter, uh, and, or not in Daughter, I'm sorry, in Ace, uh, she's very, she wants to be a lady, she's very prissy, and so creating aesthetics like that where I'm, you know, macaroons and doilies and cream <laughs> and pearls kind of help me when I'm then going into describing her and what she likes and what she wants. Because um, I can use those same words, and those words create a pretty vivid picture without necessarily going into just the pure details of what she looks like. Uh, macaroons are the most prissy dessert that you nailed. They that. are. <laughs> I also love them. So. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, that's they can be both prissy and delicious, but they absolutely. I feel like every time yeah. I walk by, um, like if you're in like a fancy mall and there's a macaroon thing, and they have not only do they have like fifty different kinds, but they have them like organized by color palette. I'm just like, all right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And they're always, like, the best flavors. I'll always stop and get one that's rose so that I feel all fancy. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, what types of books do you read when you do have free time to read, whether it was kind of growing up or, or some of the books that you prefer now as well? Um, nowadays, I mainly only read YA fantasy with some uh, occasional excursions into science fiction or adult fantasy. As a kid, I feel like I I really liked fantasy, but I had a bit more variety in what I read. Um, I used to really enjoy thrillers. I loved Agatha Christie, which probably comes comes across in Daughter. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also loved the kind of um, sort of gossip girl type books. Like, you know, really, they had huge series. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember one's called private i remember the middle grade version that was like click and they had these really cool plaid covers uh, i'm a big fan of those type of things as well mm-hmm. um so you mentioned uh you know why fantasy are there any books in particular that you have really enjoyed lately i'm currently reading winter song by sj jones and i'm about a third of the way into it and i absolutely love it it is so atmospheric and it's so like sexy and dark and it feels like I'm reading a fairy tale. Uh, so I, I've really been liking that one. Um, I just finished The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee and that was absolutely delightful. That's a sort of road trip story that took place through uh, 7th or 18th century Europe. Um, hmm, trying to think of some other big fantasy titles I've mm-hmm. read and loved this year. My favorite fantasy series that I've been rereading because it inspired in a lot of ways the A series is uh, the Seven Realm series by Cinda Williams Chima. Uh huh. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it was yeah, a little bit. Uh, it was mostly done coming out while I was in high school, so as I was writing Ace, and uh, I'm actually going to get to meet the author for the first time in September, and I love these books and could read them an infinite amount of time, so I'm really excited to. Uh, over her from afar. That is amazing. I have to tell you, I uh, I also read Winter Song recently, and mm-hmm. it if you like the first third, you will like the rest of it. It's awesome. So, <laughs> um, actually, it kind of it's funny that you say Arena. It kind of reminded me actually of Daughter because it's I, there's 
some things that happen, and I'm not going to give anything away for you. I don't want to spoil this. But like, there are some things that happen where it, it makes you question, you know, is this a reliable narrator? Am I... Am I following along? Did I miss something? And But the, the whole thing is just, it's so magical and it reminded me so much of the labyrinth, which made me so happy. And yeah, you're going to love it. Right. Uh, yes, I'm excited to finish that. I have other things I should be doing, but I might be dropping them just this book. <laughs> That's okay. I feel like, especially as someone who is a writer, you can justify it as like research. Like so many writers tell us, you know, they spend actually the majority of their time reading. So I feel like you can 100% justify that. Oh, absolutely. I managed to rationalize all of my time spent watching TV or reading books or reading manga as a writerly research. So if you're not writing or reading or you know working your full-time current job how do you like to spend your free time um i let's see i like to play tennis when the weather's warm um but not too warm as it's been lately mm-hmm. uh, i play some piano when i have time um i'm just a big watcher of tv shows and i kind of just like devouring stories uh but I, I spend so much time lately writing that I sometimes forget that I do think that. <laughs> um, so towards the end of our shows, we like to do what we call the Nerd Nine. They're just nine lighthearted questions. A um, little bit of fun, not that anything else has been too heavy-hearted. But the uh, the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? That was The Gentleman's Guide to Fights and Virtue. Oh, gotcha. um, do you have a favorite place to read? Probably in bed, which is probably my favorite place to also watch TV or to write or to do homework. <laughs> the more comfortable, the better. Uh, do you have what you would consider a guilty pleasure? Hmm. I like cooking a lot, um, which isn't always a guilty pleasure, but it can be, uh, considering what I like to cook. <laughs> I also, I justify, like, my problem when it comes to a guilty pleasure for cooking is I also love cooking, but it's just my wife and I at our house, and I'll end up cooking a meal that is for, like, 15 people, and she's like... Oh, I do the same. She's like, what do you want us to do with two crockpots worth of chili? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I I totally know what you mean. Um, It's a challenge. Yeah. What's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? I would love to go to Seoul. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Um, probably Thanksgiving. Are you a coffee person or a tea person? Uh, I have to go with tea. I'm not a coffee drinker at all. <laughs> How about cats or dogs? Um, I guess cats. I've never really had a pet, so uh, I don't usually know what to do with either, but cats seem more to <laughs> feed. Uh, you mentioned food before. Do you have a favorite food? I completely agree. I always tell people, like, if, if you just give me, like, a loaf of fresh bread and a bunch of different cheeses, like, I'm happy. That's that's all that I need. might have been what I was doing yesterday. <laughs> oh. very appropriate. Oh, man. We're not so different, you and I. Um, <laughs> last one. Um, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? Uh, probably Julia Child. 
Oh. I'd like for her to also be the one who made the dinner. That, oh my god, yeah, that would be, wow, that's a really <laughs> good one. That's a good job of, of pairing those together. Um, okay, so my last question for you is just, what do you hope readers take away from reading your books? Um, well, probably two things. I think, uh, you know, I put a lot of effort into two particular things in my writing. And one is creating unique characters, and one is creating unique settings. And I think if a reader can fall in love with either of those, then I feel like my job has been achieved. That is perfect. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a blast. Great. Thank you so, so much for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.